It's always nice having a music director who knows you well, knows how to uh, pick the right kind of songs. Again, that repeating Alleluia, I always see the saints of my life dancing before me, lots of emotional residents trying not to cry. I was good. Held it back. Please pray with me. God, we pray that you might take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hands and work through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For your love's sake. Amen. Well, Easter has always been my favorite holiday of the year. A little extra Easter music. Always been my favorite holiday of the year. I remember when I was a kid uh, growing up in Boston. Now, in Boston, of course, the winters are actually cold. And when winter starts in November and December, you greet it and you smile and you like the snow on the ground. By the time you get to February, March, you are ready for this to be done. And Easter was always that mark of spring beginning, new life breaking forth, green sprouting out. It warmed the heart of everybody, put everyone in a great mood. Even those curmudgeons that never smiled, smiled on Easter. And there's always the bright colors and the nice Easter bonnets and the Easter egg hunts. When I was growing up, my aunt and uncle, after they were married, waited 10 years before they had kids. And so we were like their kids, and my aunt, who's very creative, would put on the most elaborate Easter egg hunts you've ever seen in your life, uh, where there were different clues and different eggs that led you to the final egg all over, uh, and different prizes that were scattered around. I had such happy memories of the meals afterwards there, and then, of course, church. To come to church on Easter morning, to see so many people gather in the pews, to smell and see the beautiful lilies up front, and wonderful strings or brass playing. All so glorious. And then the chocolate. I mean, everybody likes chocolate, especially kids. Who does not like chocolate? What's there not to like about Easter? But the issue with uh, all those wonderful Easter memories is they don't necessarily line up with the stories that we get in the Gospels. Stories in the Gospels are a little different. And our story this morning from the Gospel of John focuses on the person of Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, as her name indicates, was from the city of Magdala, which was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And scripture tells us in the Gospel of Luke that she was cured of seven demons and that she and other women were actually the financial backers of Jesus and the apostles when they were starting out. And she was one of the earliest followers of Jesus and would have followed him throughout his ministry in Galilee and then down towards Jerusalem. Contrary to common opinion, she was not necessarily the great sinner that she's often made out to be. That's because of a conflation of texts that comes later. But Mary Magdalene was almost certainly present there at the Last Supper. And all four Gospels attest that she was there at the crucifixion. Here was this person, Jesus, who changed her life, who healed her who made her a new person. Here's this person, Jesus, that led her to give up her material resources to support him. She went off traveling throughout Galilee and then to Jerusalem with him and then had to watch him as he was put on trial innocently, as he was beaten and tortured. 
as he had nails driven through his hands and feet and lifted up for all to mock him. And she had to look up and see that crown of thorns that had been pressed down on his forehead and the blood running down his face. And so Mary, because the Saturday was the Sabbath, rested on the Sabbath, but the first thing on Sunday morning, she went out to the tomb. And the Gospel of John account says she goes out to the tomb alone. She goes out there just to weep. She goes out there just to cry, to let it all out. And then she shows up at the tomb, and the body isn't even there. She doesn't even have that to go on. She can't even cry that her life has been ruined and is in pieces. And then we see uh, Peter and the beloved disciple coming in, and they look into the tomb And then they walk off, not really knowing what's going on. This is our Easter story. I don't see any lilies in there. I don't see a wonderful string orchestra. I don't see lots of bright colors. And yet, the the, the story that we want, the story that our society tells us to want, the the kind of victories that we want are much more glorious than that. We want something that's got full of trumpets and brass. We want the big parades. We want to see the Patriots win the Super Bowl yet again, because we like winners. (laughs) When the Astros win the World Series, we want to shut down school and have a big parade to celebrate. That's the kind of victory we like. We like to win. And win big. We like the person who's the ultimate winner. You know, as our president promises us, winning, winning, and so much winning, we get sick of winning. That's what we like. And you uh, ever seen the movie Patton? There's that great scene at the beginning of the movie Patton where George C. Scott, who plays Patton, walks out in front of this massive American flag to give a speech to the Third Army. Uh, And he talks about how America loves a winner and hates a loser. And that's why America never has lost and never will lose a war, because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Winning, that's what we like, big victories. And we're taught that the way that, the way that, that comes about is how? Right? Hard work, right? Work hard, be honest, be a good person, and everything will work out. We'll have our victories. And if that doesn't happen, then maybe you just have to work harder. Or maybe you weren't working hard enough. Right? That's what we're told. We do that and we'll win. We're told that from little kids on upwards. That's the way life works. That's the way victories work. And then we live life. And life isn't quite like that. There's that great, there's that great joke that's told often for good reasons. Uh, how do you make God laugh? You tell her your plans. Yeah, you have a relationship. You're, let's say you're a single person. You go on those first couple dates. All of a sudden, your mind is like seeing you walking down the aisle to get married. Every <laughs> see, Maylie's laughing. She knows this situation. <laughs> and then, of course, it doesn't work out that way. It's not quite so simple. My father was an entrepreneur. And one thing about being the son of an entrepreneur is that you realize that no matter how hard you work, no matter how bright you are, no matter how honest you are, something like 90% of new business ventures fail. And so if you are the son of an entrepreneur, one thing you realize is failure. A lot of failure. 
again and again and again. That's the way life actually works. Unexpected illness, you don't plan for those things. They happen. Some of these things are just bumps along the road. But other times we have moments like Mary has, where we are lost, where we are broken, where we're literally brought to our knees. We just want to weep and we can't even do that. In the fall of 2013, I was working at a congregation in Ames, Iowa. And when I was there, I found myself horribly burnt out. To the degree that I was having heart palpitations and couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I looked so sickly that my friends uh, went out of their way to say how concerned they were about me. Uh, I didn't have much of a personal life, or at least not a very good personal life in Iowa. I was at the end of my rope, and so I made one of the hardest decisions of my life in the fall of 2013. I decided to resign from the church I was working at. And I was so burnt out, I didn't want to go work in another church again. And I called up my mother, and I asked my mother if I could then go move into her place up in New Hampshire. My parents had a small place in New Hampshire that they had purchased years ago uh, for the summertime. And in the wintertime, it was empty, so I asked her if I could move up there. So there I was at age 34, a uh, magna cum laude graduate of Harvard and Yale, moving in with his mother, with no job and no sense of where I was going. Now, one of my good friends from college, who I, who I have the world of respect for, was getting married that February uh, to a woman that he had met in Washington, D.C., who was from Brazil. And so the wedding was in Rio de Janeiro. And so I used what little, little savings I had and made the trip down to Rio to be there for his wedding. And here I was, I showed up, and of course, all the hotels listed for the wedding are these four, five, six hundred dollar a night hotels, and here I am staying at the hostel uh, down the road, showing up at the wedding in my 15-year-old suit that's very out of style amongst all of these Harvard classmates who are the sort of embodiment of style, whatever it was at that time. Uh, they're glittering careers, and there I was, and they were asking me, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, well, I left my job, and I'm living with my mother. Uh, and I don't know what I'm doing. How are you doing? <laughs> and I remember uh, dri- riding on one of the buses in Rio, and there was a song that I had on my phone that sort of became my theme song. It's a song by Florence and the Machine called Shake It Out. And the words begin like this, or the song begins like this. Regrets collect like old friends, here to relive your darkest moments. I can see no way, I can see no way, and all of the ghouls come out to play, and every demon wants his pound of flesh, but I like to keep some things to myself, I like to keep my issues drawn, it's always darkest before the dawn. That was sort of the theme song that I had for that point in my life. It's interesting that in our, in our gospel account for the Gospel of John, it actually takes place in the darkness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the resurrection account happens in the dawn, happens in the brightness, but not in, God, not, 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 not in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, it happens in the dark. And so Mary goes out there in the dark, entirely bereft, and after Peter and John leave, Peter and the beloved disciple leave, she's left there. 
And she sees this gardener come up, or someone that she supposes to be the gardener. And Mary's response is wonderful. She's like, I want to know where you laid the body. I'm willing to go and get it myself. And you can imagine the image, you know, a dead body weighs so much. And here's this woman who is so desperate. She said, just tell me where he is, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'll go get it, and and I will bring that body here myself. And then she hears that voice calling out her name, Mary. And in that moment, everything for her changes. There's this moment where all of a sudden now she has a future where she didn't have a future before. She has hope where she didn't have hope before. All of a sudden, life for her is able to have meaning. She's able to piece it together, and she's able to move forward. It's a moment that transforms her life, a moment where she comes in contact with God and all of God's fullness, a miraculous moment, a moment of resurrection. Now, when I was younger, I would concern myself a lot about what's, what's the nature of the bodily resurrection of Christ? What is the body of Christ like? Is it this way? Is it that way? Is it fleshly? Is it not? And I would, I would work myself up over this and read different things on it. The older I've become, the less focused I am on that. I don't really care. And frankly, I don't think the text really cares either, here either. Mary is not overly concerned about what the nature of the bodily resurrection of Christ is. What Mary experiences is the risen Christ. And that's what changes her life. Christians proclaim that Jesus is the word of God incarnate. The very self-expression of God in a human being. That's what Christians proclaim. That Jesus is the mediator between God, the creator God, and this world. The messiness of this world, the estrangement, the messed upness and up and downness of this world. Jesus is the mediator between God and this world. And when we meet the risen Christ, we're able to meet God in all of God's fullness in this world. It's something that comes from outside of us into our life and has the power to transform our life and make it new. That's the message of the resurrection. My former boss and mentor, Peter Gomes, was someone who, when he was a young man, had the great fortune of being a chaplain at Harvard and a professor at Harvard. He's an African-American man who was uh, well-regarded, well-respected throughout the African-American Christian world. He was someone who preached the second inaugural prayer for Ronald Reagan in January 1985. He's someone who preached the inaugural sermon for George H.W. Bush in 89. And in 1991, the conservative newspaper at Harvard uh, made, it a, made it a goal in order to out of the closet all the professors who were closeted and hopefully get them kicked out of Harvard. And they told these professors in advance they would do this. And one of those professors they told was my mentor, Peter Gomes. So Peter had to get up on the steps of Widener Library and tell the whole world that he was gay. And then he had to get in his car and drive up to a meeting of old church ladies up in Maine, rural Maine, (laughs) that he was previously scheduled. (laughs) And as he says, as he was driving up there, he's like, my life is done. I'm going to lose most of my friends, which did happen. I'm going to lose my job, and I have no idea what's next. And as he told the story, he came driving back to his house, and he pulled up to his house in Cambridge, and there on his doorstep of his house were flowers. Not one bouquet, but an entire ray of flowers there for him. And he walked over to the this whole mess of flowers and saw a card from one of his friends and colleagues at Harvard, Skip Gates, that said, remember, you are loved. 
That was an experience of resurrection for Peter. For me, when I was in New Hampshire, uh, I took great support and healing from social media, of all things, uh, because it connected me to people in other parts uh, of the country that I knew and loved. From walks by myself, uh, from friends who invited me down to Cambridge so I could get a time away from the icy cold of rural New Hampshire. Um, and there was a moment, a key moment for me, and, I, I, and one of the things I'd done, I'd started this writing project, and I was focused on that, and one of the key moments was six months into my time in New Hampshire, I had a luncheon with my mother and two people that she had as financial advisors. So she was at that stage where she was trying to retool her future retirement, and so we were there, and after the financial discussion, we started chatting, and one of these financial advisors was a Unitarian, and the other was a Catholic. And we start chatting, and then all of a sudden they start asking religion questions, and I start answering them, and we start getting into this, and I start getting more excited, and we kept going on. The lunch went on for like over two hours. And finally, when the lunch finishes and I'm walking away from it, it dawned on me that whatever I was doing, I need to somehow find my way back to that, to working in God, to working in churches somehow. I didn't know how, but it was this incredible moment of revelation and moments of God's presence where I was like, I need to go do this. It was a moment of resurrection for me. Christians are people who are by nature optimistic, but they are also thoroughly realistic. There are a few things more harmful than the Christian viewpoint that sometimes you hear that because of the resurrection, all should be good and all should be happy, that you should always be smiling and always have a smile on your face. It's completely false. It doesn't line up with our life and actually does an injustice to God, and it's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is rooted in realism of what it means to be alive, of what, me, of what life actually is in its ups and downs, but it also proclaims that even through those ups and downs, there are those moments of resurrection. The risen Christ will meet you on your way, and you can find new life. That's the message of the faith. Last week, again, we had to witness as the Cathedral of Notre Dame de Paris burned. And for those of us who've been to Paris, and even those of us who haven't, You could see that great symbol of Christianity, that great symbol of French identity burning before you, and it moved many of us, myself especially. But the thing about that is, as that was burning, I knew at the time that something else will rise in its place. And you got to see this incredible spirit from around the world rise up in its place. You got to see the spirit of resurrection show up there, and I don't know what the future of Notre Dame will look like. I hope it'll be different, actually. I, don't hope it, I hope it won't be restored the way it is, but I hope it will be a symbol of spiritual uplift and a symbol of resurrection to those who need it. My favorite cathedral in all of Europe that I've been to is the cathedral in Coventry, England. The cathedral in Coventry was bombed in World War II, bombed out entirely. And when they built the new cathedral, they decided to build the new cathedral right next door. And they left the bombed out structure there. And the way that you enter the new cathedral is through the bombed out structure. And as you're walking through this bombed out structure, on the, on the high altar of, of the old Coventry Cathedral is a cross that they nailed together from some of the old timbers that have been burnt in the fire. And it's a symbol of resurrection that even in the face of the evil of fascism and Nazism, even in the face of the worst of humanity and the worst evil that's out there, that the cross is still there, that resurrection is still there, and that is a message that is at the center of the faith. And so our aim on this Easter morning, and really every morning as Christians, is to be able to proclaim that resurrection to those who need it. That when you're going through difficult times, which many of us might be going through now, you have to believe 
that the, that the resurrection is coming, the risen Christ will meet you on your way, and that you can bring that message to others who need it, that the risen Christ will meet you on your way, so that we can join our voices with the psalmist who says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning.